After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Claudia Mata is a former fashion editor turned entrepreneur. She changed careers after moving her family from New York to Marin County in California and going back to herbalism school. Now her life's work is her holistic skincare collection, Vertly, sourced locally from farmers in Marin County and batched each week. Claudia Mata, so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and you're, you're up bright and early in California. <laughs> yes, I just dropped my kids off at school. Nice. So calm, calm again Monday morning. Brief moment of quiet here. <laughs> I think mothers are the people that really like Mondays. <laughs> I know, it's <laughs> true. This is when things get back to normal. <laughs> Claudia, will you tell the listeners where you're from originally? I'm from San Salvador, El Salvador. Oh, wow. Tell me about El Salvador and how long you lived there and, and what are your memories from growing up? You know, I have a very scattered memory of El Salvador because I, I spent a lot of time there, but it was mostly going back in the summers. So like as an adult, I, you know, I obviously I still have fond memories of it and my family stayed, half of my family stayed and the other half wound up leaving. But, you know, there was a civil war there through the entire 80s and it ended in 94. And we left, I mean, to make this a very, you know, short story, we left my aunt, my father's sister was kidnapped and yeah. we had to leave. So my grandfather sent us to Miami, which I think is most Latin's port of entry <laughs> at some sure. point. We all live in Miami and we <laughs> went back and forth between there and San Salvador until it just got, it got to be too much. So then my mother actually wanted to live in New Orleans. And so we wound up moving to New Orleans. And that's from, where from I, wild to wilder. I Miami know. To New Orleans. <laughs> but that town is great. It's got so much oh, yeah. culture. It's got a little bit of everything. And it's got a really <laughs> relaxed vibe. So, I mean, I loved living there. And, and that's where I spent most of my formative years. But I did go back to El Salvador every, every summer for chunks of time. And as a child, like, was that confusing or how, how did your mom explain it to you? How did you understand the, the political unrest and all of that? You know, I, you know I, I don't really have memories of it being that traumatic. The only memory that comes to mind of it is, you know, my, my cousins lived close by to our house. And one time I slept over their house and I wanted to go back home. You know, as a little kid, I was like, no, I want to yeah. go back to my house. And I remember outside of the gates, you could hear marching. And wow. my aunt was like, you can't go home. Like, there's a yeah. lockdown. You can't leave the house. And I'm like, what do you mean? Wow. I mean, it was so important to me. Yeah, because I was, at this point in New Orleans, thinking like, this would never happen. They would never shut down the street. <laughs> well, maybe. You know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it would be for like a Mardi Gras parade, not, <laughs> not for, you know, a marching soldier caravan or something. Yeah. So. There are bits of that, but I feel like my parents were really great at not keeping me that connected to it. I mean, once my aunt was returned, I feel like it went to things as normal. And, you know, the fighting was actually not happening in San Salvador, you know, it was happening right. in the mountains. So it wasn't affecting their day to day. It was more of like, you know, an isolated incident of ransoming or things like that, that I th think affected like the, the people that lived in the city. So how old were you when you got to New Orleans? I was around eight-ish, I want to say, back and forth. But I, I, that's like when I start making memories around then I, that I remember. Yeah. And, and just you and your mom? Or, no, um... I had my sister and my brother. 
And my dad originally came, but he had to go back for work. We had these coffee plantations and he went back to, to work in the family business and, and my mom didn't want to go. So they wound up separating. And are the, have you gone back and are there still coffee plantations? Is there still family there? Well, I went back for the longest time until my father passed away and for years. And so he stayed forever. He stayed. He did not come yeah. back. He didn't, I mean, yeah. he didn't come. And yes, there still are, but they're not really functioning through another long story, but we still have the land, but we're not <laughs> working it. <laughs> and then how did you get into fashion from New Orleans other than it has great style? <laughs> so, I mean, I always love style and fashion and shopping, but you're right. New Orleans is not the fashion capital <laughs> at all of the world. Except um, for about a week every year. <laughs> you know, I, it, it was a different time. I feel like I remember I, I, my first job, I got a job working for these two designers and in New York, eventually I moved to New York. And when I was working with them through, it was just a magical environment. You know, I remember Andre Leon Talley would come at the end of the night and hold court and <laughs> Jay Alexander would be teaching all these models how to walk. And it, it was just, you know, a fairy tale, a fashion fairy tale. And then from there, I got a job in editorial. And that is really, I think, where I thrived, where I loved it the most, where my passions kind of came through. And my first job was an accessories editor at Town & Country. And how did you get your foot in the door there? It was, again, all luck when you get these jobs, when you <laughs> get in there. And, 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 and I guess how your connections with people. I went to interview for this job and the fashion director there, who I knew, was like, oh, there's a position open, but there's so many girls going for it. I just want you to know. And she's already interviewed like 50 people. And today, <laughs> like, my, my pressure. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, today might be the last day. <laughs> and I went in and sat down and talked with her, with Heather Severs. And we talked for like two hours. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, I felt like I was just hanging out with a friend. And she offered me the job. Wow. Yeah. And you, ha and you hadn't studied fashion in school or, or no, journalism? I had or... not studied. You know, I was, uh, you know, one of those people that when I went to college was like, okay, should I be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer? <laughs> like, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to come out and be, you know, a fashion editor. Whereas now kids today with all this information everywhere, you can just yeah. be anything. But I feel like when I was growing up, that really wasn't presented in that way. Yeah. It almost seemed like a, a, a non-job. Like, how could you be doing this and getting paid for something so fun? <laughs> well, I've noticed, too, my daughter's 18 and is is just committed to going to college. And, she, and when you commit, for most universities, you have to say exactly what you want to study. And I'm like, how do you know anything at 18 about what oh, you want to do? <laughs> I, that's always, and I think it's always evolving. As you change, you can do something for a while. Hopefully. And then, yeah. So I, I hope that they're, I mean, I think they're more fluid now than, than, than when I was in school, I thought, you know, I'm going to be pre-med. And then I was doing all the courses and I was like, oh, I hate this. So <laughs> and were you, did you go to college in the South? I did, but I, I always knew I was going to be in New York. I was, I was raised with a, a Swedish stepfather and I feel like our, <laughs> my mother remarried a Swedish man and when most people did interns in college, I, he was wanting us to make sure that we saw how big the world was so we could live anywhere, not necessarily what our career was going to be. So people were doing internships and I was almost like interviewing countries. I'd be like one <laughs> summer in Sweden and Stockholm, one yeah. summer in Nice and be like, do I, would, could I see myself here? 
That, that's how we are. We're Vikings, <laughs> us Swedes. <laughs> conquering all, conquering the land. But, but when I did, I, I did spend one summer in New York and I fell in love and I knew I was going to go back there at one point. And I wound up staying for like 16 years, 15, 16, wow. 15 years. Yeah. And, and working at Town & Country, you worked in the accessories department the whole time? I worked in accessories the whole time. And it was a really great, it was a really great place to start because I did do, you know, the way that we break it up is if you're doing kind of different levels of lines, but because Town & Country did such high fashion at the time, you know, we did the luxury market. So mm-hmm. the brands that were considered, you know, the lower market were still really <laughs> higher markets to, you know, to, to begin. Yeah. And so you start off doing, you know, certain shoes and bags from lower price brands, but lower, obviously for, for that specific market. And, mm-hmm. and I did costume jewelry, which was just starting to kind of have this moment. So it was really exciting, you know, to kind of see all these brands that are now still around today, but come to, and then, yeah, and then we did a lot of fine jewelry. I mean, it was the best training for it because Town & Country had such dedicated jewelry pages. Um, it was such a focus of the lifestyle that I had the best mentors for it. It was the best training. And I just started a passion that I had. And and also jewelry designers are so passionate themselves and they're so close to the product where I think, I think with ready to wear, the designers can be kind of far away from their designs but jewelry is so personal and it touches your skin and and they're also such a quirky bunch I think oh and, and you're right you get to meet them whereas like if I'm shooting a Valentino purse I'm not meeting Valentino right, right? but right. if I'm shooting like Irene Newart's necklaces yeah. I'm like having dinner with her so it's a completely <laughs> different situation with that and important to remember is it's, it was such a different time then in terms of there wasn't social media, you know, you weren't really sharing information in other ways. So magazines right. were so relevant. We could yeah. really help a brand bring them, you know, exposure and connect them with stores. And, you know, you really felt like you could make a difference in a tiny brand. And we really yeah. took that seriously mm-hmm. and tried to help as many people as we believed in. And so you were there, you know, in the heyday of it, but also as it waned. I mean, could you feel it going away? Well, I, I mean, wasn't there it? during. So Town and Country was still at the height, and then I left Town and Country and went to W. Oh wow! Which was a completely different beast. <laughs> and I went to W. For, Alex White was there originally, oh, and cool. then, but then Edward Enenfull came, and that's who I was oh there gosh. with most of the time. So, wow. and I was at W for like almost six years, I think. And I was the accessories director then. And that job still to this day is, was such a dream job. Edward was such a creative, is such a creative force. And it almost, it, it was just the most amazing environment to be in, you know, surrounded by so much creativity. It, you know, kind of pushed you to your limits to see what you can do. And the way we would work on, on, on shoots is Edward would come up with, we never shop fashion as in like, oh, these are the clothes of the season and then that's it, you know, buy this. He would create (laughs) characters and do these storyboards. And then we each had our own role into bringing, you know, this vision to life. And then obviously on set, it would be, you know, with the photographer and the makeup and and everything, hair would come all together with the clothing and the accessories. But, you know, it it always felt really important because you were bringing together (laughs) this character and, I remember one shoot we did with, it was one of our earlier shoots that we did when he started working there. So Stephen Klein shot it and it was Amber Valletta through the ages. And so it was like 
in 20s through her 80s with prosthetics. And oh wow, the shoot took, it was like a three-day shoot. But in order to get all that done, we were there to like 4 a.m. I mean, we were sleeping on couches <laughs> of the set. But it was a great time to be like, oh, this, you know, Belle Perron piece is from this period that really would go well with this, you know, person. And I mean, it, it was just, it was fantasy. We we're creating fashion fantasy. And we did that every month, you know? And wow. so it was just, and we worked with the best stylists, the best photographers. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't only do it for Edward, you know, he'd also bring other people in to shoot, to style other stories, you know, yeah. different ones per month. And then I still also had my own pages that I did and and I styled my own jewelry shoots and accessory shoots. Did you understand all the references? Did you ever feel, I mean, he must have been a great leader to bring you all along to to share his vision and for you to all understand it. It was. I mean, and I think we each had to, you know, like I said, I had great training for jewelry before going into this job. And so we each kind of came in with our own expertise. And I feel like he relied on us to come mm -hmm. to him with. Trusted yeah, you. Exactly. And, yeah. and to say, rare, this rare. Be, yeah, <laughs> this would be the best for this particular situation. Right. What sort of leadership did he teach you that you carry along today in your own business? You know, I think he bought such joy. Like, I remember huh. we would go to fashion shoots, I mean, fashion shows, you know, because we traveled to Europe together for all those shows. And we'd be sitting across other magazines. And sometimes some of them seem so <laughs> serious and like, yeah, almost seem stressed. And like we, they're about to cry. Yes. And we were always smiling, having fun. He's so funny. I mean, he brought the joy in whatever he was doing. And I, I so appreciate that because those years that I worked in fashion, I mean, town and country was wonderful i never wanted to leave because it was you know like a hug <laughs> I remember it. and and w had you know it was a different environment so it was definitely a lot more you know egos and personalities to juggle but he made it fun and i'm forever grateful for that i love that somebody gave me his his book for my birthday i've got to start it oh have you, have you read it <laughs> i actually haven't but i will <laughs> <laughs> i would never have thought that about him he seems so serious to me because he's done such amazing things for for British oh, Vogue. He's, but I, he's fun. He is fun. Aw, yeah. I love that. So tell me about your move to Northern California. So you, you were so successful and enjoying what you were doing. How, uh, did, it how was... did everything change? <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I make plans, it never comes out the way. <laughs> so I married so my husband. He was like, when I met him, he was an actor. And I remember on our one of our earlier dates, I was like, okay, so we can only date for three months. I was like, because I don't envision my life plan marrying an actor. <laughs> and so fast forward. So obviously. he's got, he was like, I've got three months yeah. to make it work. <laughs> well, obviously we got married. And, and, but one of the things he said is I want to raise my family in Northern California in Marin, where I'm from. And mm -hmm. if you've ever been here, I don't know if you've been to Marin. It's yeah. the most beautiful place in the world. So it is. <laughs> I understand now that I'm here why he wanted to do that. But at the time, New York was, you know, the best of the best for me. So I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And we had one child in New York. And, you know, he didn't say anything. So I was like, all right, we're in the clear. <laughs> and then I got pregnant with my our second baby. And he was like, prepare yourself. <laughs> we're leaving in three months. So I quit the job, which I was, I mean, not loving the idea of doing it, but I was pregnant at the time too. And, you know, there were a lot of things that I felt. And also, like we're saying, the things were waning then. It was changing in the sense that, you know, when I 
when I first started in magazines, again, we we didn't have bloggers and we, we didn't have all these other, you know, yeah. influencers. None of that was around. You know, that, that was kind of our role. Yeah. And then, I'm sure you also barely had budgets. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, did, we had great budgets when I first yeah, started. Right. Yeah, we were exactly. like doing anything was, you can Unlimited. Imagine. It was exactly. like, oh, you want to shoot a desert story? Go to the desert. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, things were changing, budgets were changing. And also there was a difference. Like when I first started, there was a really big separation between, we called it church and state, which was editorial and advertising. It would, they mm. like the two never connected Crossed. or touched. And it was sure. like, don't talk to me about that. And then as I was leaving, we started doing more branded content and it, it started changing. So you could see, you know, there were things that were evolving, but it wasn't, I fortunately left still at a good higher note like because yeah. so many of my friends who stayed it definitely you know changed <laughs> obviously and now it's a you know I think it's a whole different game what did you think you were going to do for work I knew I didn't want to work in fashion here because I thought yeah. it would be really hard coming from where I was right doing the things I was doing sure and fashion week every you know and you'd be like working at a spree <laughs> exactly so I was like I don't think I can do that and so my husband was like, why don't you take a break and figure out what you want to do? But as a woman who had worked so hard to to create a career, I mean, what was that like? That had to have been really hard for your identity and I think that was understanding the your place thing. in the world. That was the hard yeah. that was the hardest thing about moving. Everyone's like, Oh, did you miss New York? And I was like, No, I missed I I missed my sense of self more than anything else because yeah. I, you know, like I left my job on a Friday. On a Saturday I threw a birthday party for my child. Sunday I moved to California. Jeez. One day, I had not one email, not one phone call. <laughs> My schedule was empty. It was almost yeah. like a very weird, like, who am I if I'm not this? Yeah, of course. And, uh, and was there a grieving period? I mean, how did you deal with it? And were you aware of it at the time that you were going through it? Or just upon reflection? Yeah, I wasn't aware of it. But I really had to do a lot of soul searching at the time because I did realize I was putting the value of myself as a as a individual as a woman in what I was doing my productivity was my value and that's not necessarily the case and you know it changes at different points in your life so I had to really start shifting my mentality and kind of focusing on the other things that I could do or I was giving you know to the world that didn't necessarily involve that part of my life and did you talk to your husband about it could you verbalize it I did you know I I, I was it was tricky because I was, again, at this point, then I have a, 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 I'm pregnant, but then I have a baby. So I have two, you know, two kids that are two years old and under, and that was taking up time, but I still felt that I needed to do something on the side creative. So I, I went back to, I went to school, I started studying herbalism and my, and at the time too, you know, cannabis was having this moment and this is in 2016 and my husband's brother owned a medicinal cannabis farm, um, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, it was legal already, but, but it, it was something that, you know, that kind of was in the back of my mind and it, everything just kind of came together of me doing this, this class. And I thought, this is really fascinating. There's so many things I'm learning about plants, healing your body that I didn't know before, yeah. especially in the space that I was in, I still didn't really, you know, focus on that. So it almost started as I'm going to start a pet project and I'm going to make these products based on what I'm learning. You know, it all started with me, like we would make different teas with all these different herbs and it would have different effects on my skin. 
And I thought, mm-hmm. what if I made products out of this, you know, and, and, and put it on my topically on my skin, I bet you that would have a great effect as well. And, and because we're here in Northern California, there's so much access to, you know, fresh, you know, yeah. herbs and plants and farming and everything. So it, I was having farmers grow these plants and I was extracting them myself and pressing them out after weeks mm-hmm. of the extractions. I mean, it was a talk about complete pivot, but it was exciting <laughs> to me. And, and then my husband kind of got involved and was talking to me about CBD, which I had not used, heard of anything, yeah. but because he was a yogi and athlete nutritionist, he had used it before his brothers had given it to him. So he's like, you should think about incorporating this in some of your products. Yeah. And again, 2016, no one had heard of this. It's definitely early. So, so were you a believer early? So he was an early believer because he would get it in New York from them. So mm-hmm. he'd been using it for way beyond, you know, earlier than 2016. And then I started putting it in these things that I was formulating. And I was like, okay, this is really, this is really great. This is helpful for certain things. I had a, a formulator who lived like six months here and six months in South of France. And we were connected through an herbalist and she was like, oh, I can help you formulate, you know, products if you want to. And, and then I met someone else who's a nose, (laughs) who does all of these scent formulations and, you know, working with me with like the, the, the benefits of different essential oils. So it all just started to flow. And then when I did, I spent months creating a lip butter because it was something that I... I love the lip butter. Uh, it's <laughs> months of... Regi- we had a formulator come up with this particular... Come up with like the base of it. And then we kept changing it because we didn't like it. And we worked on it for months and months. And then I realized I am in this... I'm going a little like mad scientist. Like, is this make sense? <laughs> and I, one thing I didn't mention when I did move to California, I did... I was still working a little bit in editorial. So my friend Whitney was the editor-in-chief of El Decor. So when I moved here, he reached out to me and asked me if I would be their jewelry editor and do all their pages. So right. what I would do is like I'd go to the jewelry shows and, you know, things like that, but I would fly to New York for, you know, two days, shoot a couple months at one time and then come back. So it wasn't a big time yeah. commitment and that but I was still kind of had my foot in the door in that way. So when I was going to New York, I was like, "Oh, I should show some people these balms that I'm making and see if, am I going crazy or is this actually like a thing? And then- And were people like, what's happening? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, people did not know what I was doing, but I, <laughs> I, I went specifically to meet two beauty editors I didn't know, that I had no uh-huh. idea who, because I didn't want a friend to be like, oh, yeah. cute. You know? Yeah, cute. Good job. <laughs> you found your way. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to find a complete stranger of an editor. But, you know, obviously everyone knows someone who knows someone, but she wasn't a friend of mine. And I took it to Catherine at Vogue and- and, and then I went to Allure as well because they were just, you know, at the time, the, yeah, yeah, just beauty. And there was one more that I went and I'm trying to think. But at, at, in the end, when whoever I took it to wanted Vogue asked me for the exclusive on it. <laughs> and they were like, OK, we want to do this for, you know, August. And I was like, oh, I don't even have a website. <laughs> I don't I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they're like, so August, <laughs> right? <laughs> And were they in packaging already and everything? I had or no, they packaging. were just in little... No, I had packaging because I was thinking of just doing it for local, you know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't farmers be, market. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't gonna be what it was. It was almost like a great way for me to, you know, an outlet to do like to have creative 
juices flowing and they they wrote an article on it in august and let me tell you the website went on at midnight the night before the article <laughs> came out and then after that it just it just blew up uh, lord did a story on us and the new york times did a story on us and i think it was you know again because cannabis was just about to go yeah full, and they were it was this whole like what is an editor from new york do when she goes to california <laughs> starts a she weed starts business a, no yeah I'm just kidding. Really, that's what it, everyone wrote that and it was you know and because his his brothers had these cannabis farms so it was like oh wow they're in the cannabis business and i was like actually we're not but so then it grew from there little by little and we started adding more products and i built a lab I had a whole team of people who were pressing out herbs and I had farmers who were working. Can we go back to CBD actually and, and herbalism school? Did you learn about it there too? And and are you a real believer? Like, are there better or purer types of CBD? What, what is it What is it great for? What is it not so great for? So I, the one thing I will say is uh, what I didn't like about how it, CBD got kind of blown up as a trend. I feel like people started writing about it. It became this thing where it really isn't, you know, it's it's just a really great ingredient that should be incorporated in certain skincare elements. It's a really great anti-inflammatory. So most of our skin problems are because of inflammation issues. Right. So right. it's a really great element to, like, for instance, I pair it with Arnica with the pain lotion so it boosts the elements of, you know, the anti-inflammatory elements of Arnica. I like pairing it with like a, a, a plant partner so it heightens those benefits of whatever it's, you know, it's attached to. I think it's a really great element to include in certain products. I mean, I, I notice a difference. I feel like we've had clinical, you know, not real clinical, but faux clinical testing of it with people have done it and they've noticed a difference between the ones that yeah. have it and don't. I think it has kind of gotten overblown with some of the ways that it's used, you know, and it's kind of gotten sat and the market is really saturated, but mm. For me, I've never intended, I've never built a CBD brand because I, I don't have it in every product. So I right. just have it in the products. Like I have it in a muscle soak. I'll have it in a, yeah. you know, like a body oil that is intended to kind of relax your skin and, you know, relax your body. But there are certain things I just don't have it in because I don't think it's necessary to put in. And have, I mean, people have been using it forever. I mean, I, I don't in know. In some form, other than smoking form, it. <laughs> I know. It, I mean, it is It it is in in cannabis, you know, it is kind of like the calming agent of the THC. So it's always right. in some kind of combination naturally. I think, you know, now with modern science, we've been able to isolate it and take it out. We still use a full spectrum that has a little bit of a blend. And because we're here in the, in, in California, we use a hemp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. use hemp. We don't use cannabis plant. We use a hemp plant. Oh, okay. CBD which is why we can sell it nationally, which is why we're in all these stores. You know, we, we, you can't do that. If it's, if it, if it were from cannabis, it would be at a dispensary. Um, so there's different, you know, ways to get it. Yeah. But, but it is, it is a natural occurring element. Your body has receptors for it. You know, I don't think it's something we should be fearful of. Yeah. And talk to me about the lab that you set up. H how important has that been? It has been great. I mean, I, we built it because we had to essentially at the beginning, you know, again, had I started this in like 2019, I would have had other people being able to make it for me. But in 2016, when I asked people to make it because I had CBD in it, they were like, no, we can't, or we won't, or we don't even know what wow. that is. So we had no choice if I wanted to move forward, but 
to build a lab. Um, but again, this is, you know, I did not have prior, I mean, you just heard my experience. I was like <laughs> on photo <laughs> shoots and like, <laughs> I did not know how to, you know, I'm still learning P&Ls and the whole business side of being an entrepreneur, you know, running a lab with, you know, scientists and doing all these different things. How did you know how to hire for the lab and how did you even know how to manage them without having background in that? I do think sometimes when you're moving forward in a direction, you know, call it what you call it, the universe comes in and it's almost like you're on a wave and you hop on it and things just start coming to make, you know, your life a little bit easier. And there was a, a woman that I knew who had a couple of employees or people who she knew from her church who had been employees at another lab and two of them left and they were looking for work. And I still had a totally different kind of a lab. Like it was not, it wasn't skincare. It was, it was skin and food production is what they were doing. But my, my very first hire in the lab was a fellow student at herbalism school. And the, the, the woman who was running the program, um, I'd asked her, you know, I'm looking for someone to come and work with me. Who do you think? And she was like, this person has graduated like two years ago and she's fabulous. You should consider her. And she came and she stayed on with me for the first Aww. couple of years through COVID. How have you formed relationships with farmers? And I mean, everything is botanical, I guess. And I would imagine. It is. We have a lot of herbalists. So the, there's a big community of, herb, you know, California. I mean, we're right here close to Petaluma and Sonoma and Napa. And there's all these other tiny little towns, you know, on the way up there, too. So I have herbalists that grow plants for me there. There's some that I knew from farmers markets that have these great farms. I mean, you know, that wholesale separately. So it's just about buying the specific plants that, that we're looking for. But it's it's just purely because I'm in the right place <laughs> for all of this. <laughs> yeah, and, you are really lucky. And the brand really there. is a reflection of Northern California. You know, we try to do everything as local as we can and, you know, bringing like a little bit of California. And the CBD kind of adds to that mystique as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever expect to be an entrepreneur? I didn't, but... <laughs> but I, I, I do like it, but I will say the one thing that it's a little lonely. Yeah. Um, it's a lot lonely, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> I would say. I, I, I miss I miss having Oh your team. I miss having teams. I miss having yeah. teams. I miss having almost the day where it's like you can feel irresponsible, you know? <laughs> I miss yeah. that day where you're like, eh, it's fine. Those you know? were the days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think it's taught you about yourself? I definitely realize my resilience. You know, I, I, I've always known it was there, but this has tested it on a whole other level of, of, you know, showing up on those days that you you don't even think you have an ounce left to give. But, you know, it's you've got it's it's like another baby. So it's it's a less it's a less important motherhood for me. If that makes sense. <laughs> Do you have plans for the next five years or are you going to let it unfold organically? I have now decided to let go of all my plans. And I I'm, love it. Yeah, I, I think that anytime I plan something, it always goes in another direction. So I think I, I think that's going to kind of be part of me finding more joy in it, you know, because yeah. if you if you have such kind of strict control that you want, then you feel disappointed. But if you mm-hmm. kind of are, you know, 
focused and optimistic, but not so rigid. I feel like that's where magic can can come in, you know? Yeah. And and you to have faith. And I guess I was gonna ask that. Does does spirituality play a role in how you've allowed your life to sort of unfold or your career? Definitely more so now than than ever. Yeah. I think I I, I think <laughs> it sounds crazy to be like entrepreneurship pushed me to the brink. <laughs> <laughs> It's about to push me to the brink. But it did. I mean, I know you understand. It's it tests you, and and so I feel like it it made me rely a little bit more on 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 other values. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've talked about it several times, but I think that you know, having done this for twenty five years, and people ask about gosh, the pandemic must have been so hard. And I was like, no, because we got through 2008. The pandemic was really easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you just, you, it's like you build on these, you have these crises and you build, they they just build your character, I guess, or build your your toughness or your resolve. I, I don't even know what it is, but it's it's just interesting how, you know, if the pandemic had hit the in year one of my career, it probably, I probably would have gone out of business, you know? Right, right. No, I mean- <laughs> It depends. I think I think you have to be open to the pivot, and yeah, and and I think that's the one thing I'm learning because even now the way the direction the 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 brand is going, and I change what I want too, you know. Yeah. And, well, because your life changes. I mean, your needs change. Yeah. So I, I think that that that's something you have to be open to, and and also sometimes like even now I'm I think like I don't know, like I love what I'm doing, but. I can't say I would do it forever. You know, I don't know how long, like I might, I still do miss working in jewelry, but I don't know how, I don't know how that looks now. You know, it's so, it's such, everything has evolved so much. I mean, even for you too, right? Retail's changed. Yeah. So, so much, but, but I do, I do love what, what I've built. So I am, I am going to continue forward and, and see where it takes me. Circling back to the beginning of the conversation and your mother and moving you kids from El Salvador to the States, to Miami and New Orleans, and just the, she had to be really brave to do that, obviously, and, and care for you kids and want something different for you. But but she had to be really, really brave when you think about it. I mean, it had to be really scary. Do you have a different connection with her as you've done that? Uh, you've leapt into this totally different phase in your life and your career from going from a very successful editor in New York to, to moving to California and starting something completely new? My mother's always been that voice in my ear. That's like, you can do anything. And I know everybody's parents tell them that, but sometimes when she says it to me, I, it has a little more weight knowing, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a mother of two. I can't imagine picking up not mm-hmm. moving to another place, not knowing the language, leaving behind your family in a comfortable life, and then just being like, here I am now by myself yeah. with these three kids. <laughs> it just it just seems so bold that whenever I think of any of my obstacles and the things I'm trying to overcome, they they truly seem so small that I'm like, oh, of course I can do this. I've got this. Like, you know, yeah. and I and yeah. in my mind, I always think it's not like I'm moving across the country, across the world, and I can't speak <laughs> the language. Yeah. So I, I do think it's been a good. And, um, and you have support point. in your husband, and you have yeah, you have a partner and exactly. that as well. Exactly. I know. I think yeah. about that all the time. You know, being a single mother must be oh. the hardest role. I mean, I'm I have you know time issues now, and I have a partner, so and and one less <laughs> child. So I think. I think it has been it has been helpful in terms of knowing that, you know, 
hers are the shoulders I stand on and, and, and she's taken me to, you know, this level. And then hopefully I can do that for my, yeah. for my daughter as well. What do your children notice about your work? What do they think about it? I, I mean, I know I said that having a business is almost like a, having a child, but they do speak about it as if it's a person sometimes. <laughs> so they'll say like, oh, you know, does Vertly need more time or do you need to do this for Vertly? Or, you know, it comes <laughs> really? up. I mean, I think it's really cute when they see it at a store and I, I'll hear them be like, oh, that's my mom's, you know, Aww. brand. But I think for them, it's, it's not, you know, I, I mean, I have no problem. They, they soak in the CBD soaks. You know, right. I, I, they, they have it rubbed on their body and I trust <laughs> it fully when I tell anyone, when they're like, should I, you know, can I get high from this or whatever? I'm obviously no, <laughs> but I'm like, I put it on my own children. I trust it this much with like my most precious, you know, yeah. people in the world because we make it. And I know that we're pressing it out you know, every three weeks we're pressing out these plants. I know where they're grown. I know the farmers. And that was the one thing that when I was in herbalism school that really opened my eyes to how products are made now. That most companies, 99% of the companies that you, products that you buy are all made in the, within a handful of labs. And they all have their own formulas, obviously, but they're made and then they're bought in these quantities, right. you know, larger quantities. And then they're shipped to the person, right? Yeah. And essentially they are sending, you know, sending them to you as you order them, but they're, they've been produced at one date, you know, one time. Yeah. And so if you're fortunate enough to get them right when they're made, great for you. But if you're getting the last, you know, batches of them, you could have bought something that was made, you know, a year or two ago. It's like, wow, it's just been sitting on the shelf. And I, the thought of that is what was the biggest impetus for me to say, no, I want to start something where we're making it fresh every week. So that's why I yeah. always thought it was going to be the tiniest thing because I'm like, how, you know, how am I, me and, you know, two people at the time when we're starting going to be able to do all of this for this scale, but we were able to keep growing and keep it at scale, but we still make it, we make fresh batches every week. Wow. Everything's still made by hand. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that that's like the most important thing for me in starting it is that I, I have confidence in it. I know it's fresh. I'm treating it like I would food, right? When you open your fridge and you see, you know, your salad's getting droopy after a while, like I'm not saying that you can't eat it, but it's just less, you know, vibrant and potent. Yeah. And I think the same thing about, you know, your plants that you're putting on your, on your body and your skin. Absolutely. I, I always remember reading that like all mascara is made essentially in the same place. And the only difference in mascaras is the wand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fascinating when you start understanding, you know, how, and, and it's yeah. not, it's, I'm not saying it's, you know, like everyone obviously chooses their own, to each her own. Their own, whatever you want to do. But for me, because I was here and I was learning all this, I was like, oh, there has to be a different way. And, and, and now, I mean, I know how, which is another thing that I, I was proud of myself is I know how everything is made and I can make anything. If there was like a oh, founder really? competition of like, you, know, <laughs> you have an hour to make a lotion, go. <laughs> I could get in a lab and make it myself from scratch. Uh, like That's I amazing. I was going to ask that. Was herbalism school hard and that, I mean, I would imagine completely different from what you did in college. <laughs> I mean, was it a whole different skill set and was it a, a totally different part of your brain? Was it super challenging? You know, or did it just connect from you for you from the beginning? It's it's like cooking, you know. Mm. It really is oh. because it's it's about, you know, 
very precise measurements. I mean, obviously a lot, I mean, cleanliness obviously is <laughs> essential in both and, you know, keeping everything sterile and, you know, preserved mm -hmm. and whatnot, but it is about precise measurements. And then once you kind of have a base set up, it's about tinkering to get it exactly to how you want in terms of like consistency or, and I think cooking is kind of like yeah. that too. So I, I think it was a different brain, you know, for that aspect of it. But then there are parts that I have no interest in, like the testing and the, you know, all the things <laughs> that, you know, similar to P&Ls and all the other things, you know, all right. the parts of the business that I do pass off to someone else because I don't, I don't want to get involved anymore. But I did learn it, you know, and that's one thing that I do remember. This is going to sound crazy, but I do remember as a kid hearing from like, farming from my grandparents that when they first started, they knew how to do everything because when you're asking someone to do it, now yeah. you know how much time it takes to do whatever it is that you're doing. Absolutely. I did I, take that approach with this. I, I did too. I totally believe that. I mean, I, you can't, I don't think you can ask people to do it if you don't know how to do it almost, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, you don't, you don't understand the expectations almost. Right. And, and then there are some things where like I learned how to do it and I'm like, hate it. Never do yeah. it. <laughs> Going to sort outsource that. But yes, but do you know exactly. how to do it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I know the process. So I know these, you know, if I'm in the lab and I'm saying, you know, everyone make this amount, you know, it's not like impossible because I'm like, you know, when I started, I was there. I did it. I know it. So it can be done. What did you wear to the prom in New Orleans? So, like I said, I was going back to El Salvador a lot. And I was, a, you know, at the point, at this point, I was like a creatively minded person where I thought, oh, I could be a designer. Not that I was, you know, seriously taking it. So I had my tailor make me a dress. I cut out a oh. picture of something I liked and I kind of made modifications of it. And I had her make, it's almost like a, if you were to go back, it would be like a, it's like Calvin Klein-esque, but it was like a beige mm. slip dress with like the built-in wire cups. And Love. Um, and I'm a petite person. I feel like every time I was buying something, the fit wasn't right. So I liked <laughs> having like a custom. So I had it custom made for it. And like a crepe de chine or yes, what was the fabric? Yes, it was a crepe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you were there, you had it made and it was finished by the time you left and got to bring it home. It wasn't shipped to you. No, I, I got, I got it made when I was there. I mean, I, yeah. I planned. And it was perfect. All, I mean, you, did you tweak it or it was all exactly how you wanted it to be? Oh, but I mean, I tweaked it when I was there. I'd be like, oh, we're moving this crap here. We're doing this. I mean, I was diva designer then. I mean, but I would plan ahead too. I would make a lot of stuff. I'd go on a trip, have all this stuff made and then bring it all back with me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you remember shoes or jewelry? The especially shoes jewelry were terrible, them. terrible. <laughs> Because this is, do you remember when people would like dye shoes to match? Yes, dyed to match, yeah. of course. So <laughs> I dyed them to match. But like in retrospect, it's like I could have gone with the little silver spot or something. could have gone gold, yeah. <laughs> I did not need to wear ivory shoes. <laughs> not, not necessary. Potasois or polyester. De I know, whatever that was. But yeah. <laughs> and then in jewelry, no hair, anything? I did. I, I, the hair. Because New Orleans, New Orleans is like updo city. It is updo city. I didn't have, I mean, I just, I remember it was like half up with little ringlets, which I hate now and <laughs> looking at it. And then this was a time where people were wearing a lot of like faux Chanel kind of big. Yes. So it was like, you know, the big Chanel pearly. Love. Costume. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I know. It sounds like a good, actually sounds like a good look. It was good besides the shoes, <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic yeah. since I became an accessories director, but. <laughs> I know, exactly. Maybe that's why you were trying to correct it all, all, all of the hills. I know, hills. I know. Uh, it was. <laughs> thank you, Claudia, so Oh, much. thank you. What a treat. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.